Thank you for being here today. Uh, my name is Chris Chaw. I'm the, uh, the pastor of Life Groups here at Cornerstone and um, had, a, had the opportunity to speak with our pastor, Brad, this morning. And uh, he just wanted to let everyone know that he's praying for you and uh, that he's recovering well, doing as well as he can be, you know, getting both knees replaced. Um, but yeah, please keep him in prayer as well. Um, and uh, I'm excited. He'll be here closing out our life group sermon series next, uh, next Sunday, and uh, very excited for that. Um, just wanted to give you a recap of, of where we've been and uh, where we're going today. Um, last week, we talked about the importance of, of our view of God and how critically important that is, that our view of God dictates how we, how we look at the world. And we talked about the, the God that we worship is the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And within that triune God is a perfect community. And that he's made us, right? He, we're his creation. He's made us, as we looked in Genesis, to be his image bearers. But that's not a solo mission trip. This is, that, this is something that we have to do corporately, that together as a community we're to, we're to image him as he in himself is a perfect community. We also talked about how sin is really the destruction of community and how because of sin, because of the fall, we're, we're unable to image. But because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, we're able to, to be grafted into that community and therefore image him properly. Um, we also know that the triune God has been a God on mission from day one. From the book of Genesis, he has been pursuing his people. John Piper said, Missions exist because worship doesn't. That the heart of God is that the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as a water covers the sea. And that the backdrop of this is, is the glory of God, his glory. But he's not getting glory everywhere. Because in so many places, people aren't worshiping him. And hence, we come here to the church. And what is the purpose and the mission of the church? He's called out a people. The, the word for church in the Bible comes from the word ecclesia, which means uh, the called out ones. And we know that Jesus Christ in Matthew sixteen eighteen said that he builds the church. As believers, we're, we're simply to make disciples. He builds us. Let us remember that. That simple reality that Jesus builds this church and we don't. And the interesting thing to note is that if we make disciples churches will be planted. So the simple call for all of us as believers is make disciples. And the question is, are we doing it? And I think some of us in here may be convinced we are, but in reality, you know, we may be falling short. And I wanted to show you this clip from a pastor. You may all know uh, by the name of Francis Chan. It's a, it's a good challenge for all of us. Here's the clip. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says, right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, It's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, you, you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, 
When he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. You said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day? and quote everything that he said, and talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, Paul writes to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Brothers and sisters, we're the household of God. The term is is oikos. The early church gathered in, in what the New Testament Greek called oikos. One theologian comments, interestingly, the word oikos was also used by the Greek-speaking Jews to refer to the tabernacle or temple, the original place of Jewish worship. Thus, when Paul and the early church started using this word to describe their gatherings, they brilliantly mixed the two meanings. Was the church in a particular house? It would include the members of the families, the slaves and their dependents, together with other Christians that were nearby, and that was the oikos. It was the social structure of Rome and previously Greece. And this is where the early church, this is the cultural context of of where the early church was birthed. And it also used these these relational pathways to to, to grow the church in that context as well. You look at Romans 16. There's at least five different oikoses addressed in that. Whether you want to call them missional communities, life groups, small groups, whatever you want to call them. But to the oikos that gathers here and here and here and here and here. Brothers and sisters, it's a reminder that we are the oikos of God. And we do live in crazy times. For some, uh, it may be, uh, may be the upcoming presidential elec- election. For some, it may be what's going on in the rest of the world. For some, it may be that we had snow on September 28th. And surely the Lord is up to something. And uh, I, when I initially like, had prepared a sermon, I, I, I just scrapped the whole thing because I looked at it and I realized this is just a doomsday sermon. Like it's, it's, it's not in the reality of who Christ is. It's just like, man, like, you know what? We have all these problems and, you know, we, we've got this crazy world. And, and, and I just had a picture of Christ just saying, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I scrapped that message and I repented. Because it was, it was more a message, like, like more, 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 more geared in fear and uh, of, you know, of, of, of just, just knowledge. And I know that we all know this, but the simple thing here, and I want to share with you today, is the backbone of all of our life groups is going to be Jesus. Where else are we going to place our hope? 
Jesus is the example. It's all about Jesus. And we have to consistently remind ourselves of that. And today, with, with where we're going in our life groups, um, this next picture, this is going to be the, the, the backbone of it all. So you look at the life of Christ, you see these three things clearly, this up, in, and out aspect. And it's with that, we're going to go to the passage here in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 12. In one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Of course, we know Jesus prayed regularly, and on this occasion, he went up to the mountain to pray and spent the whole night praying. What you see here as you read the Gospels is that Jesus is consistently, regularly connecting with his Father. He only saw what his Father was doing, and he came to earth to do the Father's will. The source of his fruitfulness was his relationship with his Father. And this is the up aspect, the up relationship. The fact that Jesus had this deep, intimate relationship with his Father And he was introducing his disciples to this very personal relationship with God, calling them to the same kind of intimacy that he had with his father that he had always known. And brothers and sisters, aren't we to live in that reality as well? To consistently be connected with our father. In John 15, Jesus clearly lays out how we are to abide. That word abide simply means to remain, to dwell. We are to constantly be, we are to consistently and constantly be abiding in Christ. And if this isn't right, everything else will be wrong. Our up relationship with Jesus has to be right. Everything flows from it. And the simple truth is we will not bear any kind of fruit if we're not connected to the true vine. And I tell you this because we're so prone to wander. You know, whatever endeavor you and I are to tackle, it's, you know, at first going to start with Jesus. But at some point, we, we veer off the track and we think we can do it. Or you know what? It's our programs. It's our pragmatism. I got a better idea. This church is doing that. That might work. We totally lose focus. The sole purpose. Not only is Jesus the source, he's the very thing that sustains any kind of community. A.W. Tozer, pastor and theologian, says, God formed us for his pleasure and so formed us that we as well as he can in divine communion enjoy the sweet and mysterious mingling of kindred personalities. He meant us to see him and live with him and draw our life from his smile. This reminded me, this quote reminded me of uh, just a little excerpt I read from Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz. Some of you have read that. And it tells a story of a reporter, Alan, who, who goes and, and interviews different Christian leaders and how he's just kind of un, unimpressed by their answers. Of like, I have you growing your church. Oh, you know, what's your sole motivation? And he remembers interviewing Dr. Bill Bright. And he's sitting there with Dr. Bill Bright. Dr. Bill Bright has given him his full attention. And finally, he just looks at him and he says, Dr. Bill Bright, what does Jesus mean to you? And Dr. Bill Bright just begins to weep in his chair. And the conclusion that Alan came to is like, I want to know Jesus like that. What does Jesus mean to you? So we see clearly that this up dynamic, it was all about that, connecting with the heart of his father. 
Next thing here in Luke chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. This second principle of in, that Jesus invited others in. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I love that. I love that little list there. <laughs> you know what kind of people Jesus rolled with? <laughs> I mean, you've got to think about some of the conversations that Jesus had at the dinner table. Okay? Let's picture this. We had, I mean, we have a zealot, and we've got a task collector. I mean, you know that there was going to be some heated conversations there. But yet, these are the types of people that Jesus invited in and longed to do life with. After spending the night in prayer, Jesus called his first disciples and formed a life group, whatever you want to call it. Mark tells us uh, a little of the life group's purpose there in Mark 3, 13 and 14. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus selected the 12 so that they would be with him, that he would spend time with them, that he would pour his life into them. This was not some Christian club mentality, just forming some club. He came in flesh, and he dwelt among us. He came into a society that rejected him but yet showed us how we're to live our lives in this broken society with others. From the crowd that followed him, he, he had 72 followers whom he sent out in Luke chapter 10. He had the 12, and, and from the 12, he had his inner circle of three. Jesus shared food with his friends. He met their families. Jesus did life together with those people. This is the inward dimension. We're going to watch this uh, clip that shows kind of uh, the, the, the stereotypes that we have in, in some churches. So I uh, pray you'll get a good kick out of it. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at shallow small group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth. Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. 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 Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, 
you and your wife are struggling financially, there's tension in the relationship, uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. And there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy. And we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? So just so we're on the same page, that's not how to do a life group, okay? <laughs> but um, as we talk about this in aspect, it's going to break a lot of those molds. And I uh, wanted to invite uh, a couple um, Derek and Candace up here, and uh, they've been part of uh, what's, uh, what's been one of our um, like pilot life groups, kind of living out these, these principles, and uh, um, wanted them to come up and just share their experience, what their life group looks like, and, uh, and, and how, they, how they've grown through that. So here's uh, Derek and Candace. Hi. Hi. Um, if you know us, you know Derek's least favorite thing to be is the center of anyone's attention, except mine. So I'll be the talky one, and he'll kick it at the end. Um, We just kind of wanted to share what life group looked like for us. Um, We both grew up in churches where life groups weren't really uh, the thing to do. We did Sunday morning and night and then Wednesday nights, but other than that, um, it was just kind of doing your thing on your own. And so it was refreshing to come here and be offered the opportunity to be a part of a life group. And so um, when we established our group... Um, We just kind of set up what worked for us. And I think that's kind of what um, Pastor Chris and Pastor Brad are trying to get across to everyone is there's no hard and fast rules as to how this is going to look. It's just a group of people coming together under the Holy Spirit and just doing what the Spirit leads. And so, again, this is what worked for our group. And um, yours might be totally different. But uh, our group definitely established up front that meals would be part of the deal. And so when we met weekly, it was always dinner um, first together. And just so that you aren't overwhelmed at the thought of preparing a meal for 10 to 12 people, um, we disperse that among all of us. And, you know, we all come from different walks of life. Some are stay-at-home moms, working moms, um, both spouses work, whatever. And so you just kind of pick and choose what jobs fit you. And so if you're not into cooking and that, there's always drinks and cups and plates and those kinds of things that need to be provided as well. So there's a job for everybody. Um, Also, we hosted, we took turns monthly. So one couple would host each week for a month, and then the next month we'd go to another house. And so in addition to um, welcoming people into your home, it also gives you an opportunity to feel what that feels like, to serve other people and to have people who you may not necessarily know into your home. It also is a good lesson to teach your kids to help serve other people and uh, to be in community with other people. Um, One other aspect is worship, and this is one of those things that will be universal for all life groups. There will be worship among our groups. How How that translates is what can be different among every group. Sometimes it's singing. Sometimes it's praying. Sometimes it's serving each other. Sometimes it's serving our community. But ultimately, our worship comes from giving glory to God in whatever it is that we're doing. 
And um, so I would encourage you also let the kids be involved in those things and let them see you worship and let them worship and um, let them be involved in the prayer aspects of thing and things. And our, our kids have experienced prayers being answered. And so that's another great opportunity for them to grow in the Lord and for you get, for them to get to see those things in real life. Um, sharing with one another, it's hard to be among strangers and open your heart and open your life to those people. But the, the goal here is that these life groups are something that's uh, constant in your life and they have some permanence in your life. And so there's a comfort there that these people are your new safe space. And so, um, we would encourage that you guys get to a point in your relationships where you, you trust one another and you can share those things. And then you can also glean wisdom from people who've gone before you in those things or that you're seeking accountability and guidance through the issues of life. Um, we also came up with work days. Um, once a month we come together and pick whatever the project's going to be. Initially we did it in group because we were still getting to know one another. And so we had each couple come up with to-do lists that, that they needed done. Um, at the time, our number one priority was a couple whose husband had been deployed for nine months and she was having a baby and they needed to swap an office into a nursery and there was painting and construction type things that needed to be done. And so um, in her husband's absence, we got to be her husband for her and serve her and make sure that the husband knew those things were being met and he didn't have a big honey-do list for when he came home. He could just be a part of his family. Um, in addition to that, we, we have just regular, you know, somebody needed something painted or gutters hung or whatever. There's just odds and ends. But you can also do those things in the community, you know, like doing the trash pickup thing or um, volunteering at different places here in town, serving others. But the idea is that you do them together. It's not just about you doing something. It's serving with other people and bearing the image of Christ wherever you are. Um, lastly, the missional aspect of life group. Um, Jesus didn't hang around with people that were just like him. And so it's a lot of times easy for us to be in our comfort zone with people that believe like we do and think like we do and do the things we do and like what we like. But Christ himself hung out with people that were totally opposite of himself and, and who, who was like him, you know. He came from heaven. He was perfect. He never sinned. Who's like that? And so, you know, he hung out with tax collectors and Pharisees and adulterers and things like that and won them through his love for them. And so when we get together with people who aren't necessarily like us, what we do have in common is God and um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you to get connected with these life groups. It's, it's a lifeline for you. And um, I think about when we have needs, you know, it used to be if there was a big crisis in your life, oh, hurry and call the church, somebody tell the pastor, whatever. And while it's nice to know that pastors are on call for those kinds of needs. Even closer for us is our life groups. We can send a text, call, and we know those people. Like, those are our warriors. That's the front line. They're the ones that are speaking on our behalf or whatever when we're going through something and vice versa. So I encourage you guys to get involved in life groups. And did you have something you wanted to add? I did. Thank <laughs> you. Um, this shouldn't sound all that strange. I mean, 
we do a lot of these elements in little pockets in the church. We tend to compartmentalize these sort of things within the church body many times. None of them in and of themselves are bad. What we're trying to do are to pull those things together within the community of believers and take it out the door. There's going to be people that will never come in, step foot in a church, but when they see a bunch of folks getting together at a house in the neighborhood, people ask, well, what is that? What is that singing I hear? Um, it, it is, the best way I can explain it is to, is to take those little cliques of groups of folks that we have here, serve in the Lord, and, and to, to bring that together better in community and to take it, take it out and be on mission with the church. Um, so it's not a slam on any of those things. All those things we are incorporating together in this life group model. Um, one of my favorite verses, I think, summarizes it really well is John 3.30. He must increase, therefore we must decrease. And that's what we're trying to do within the body of believers here um, is to bring Jesus into our group, into our life, within the body of, uh, of the community of believers that we have, um, and then to, to take that um, out the doors here. Uh, one, one pastor I heard from... Uh, Pastor Chris was talking about the, the culture back then and the culture now with the church. We tend to add things to Jesus. We, we add, add religion sometimes. We add programs. But I heard it said, well, Jesus plus uh, nothing equals everything. And that's what we're trying to really mimic in our groups here. So, um, so far this past year of, of trying to live that lifestyle, and it's a learning process. You have to kind of unplug some of our our culture or church programming that we have, but it's been just a tremendous blessing for our family, um, for our children, for um, the folks that we got to know. And this is kind of a bittersweet moment because we got to know these folks, and it's going to be tough um, as we launch new groups, but we're also very excited to see what God's going to do. So that's all we have. Awesome. Thank you, Derek and Candice. They... So blessed. Their, uh, their, their group, as I said, um, they came together with the whole intent that they would, you know, eventually spawn out and launch more life groups. And um, just, just blessed by their story and the way they're living their lives. And, you know, I think, um, as Candace had said, I, you know, that some of the, some of the enemies that, that, that will come to attack this in aspect, right, is that, you know, we want that affinity, you know, like, hey, I'm you know, I'm married, I've got kids, I want, I want to network with other, and what, I just wanted to read to you some words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and uh, if, you want, if you want to read uh, two, two books, um, you know, uh, that, that will challenge you in your faith, read um, The um, Cost of Discipleship and Life Together, um, but here's a, here's a heart of a pastor right here. This fact that we are brethren only through Jesus Christ is of immeasurable significance, not only the other person who is earnest and devout, who comes to me seeking brotherhood must I deal in fellowship. My brother is rather that other person who has been redeemed by Christ, delivered from his sin and called to faith and eternal life. Not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and piety constitutes the basis of our community. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. The famous quote, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ, no Christian community is more or less than this. We have to remember that. It's definitely a, a dear brother that understands this. And, you know, during times of, of war or difficulty, you don't look at a person's social economic status. You're a believer. I'm a believer. We're in hard times. We need to stick together. That's all that matters. 
And that's what we're praying. We're praying that our life groups would, um, you know, would, would break that mold of affin- merely based on affinity, that they would be intergenerational, that there would be kids, there would be singles, there would be just a mix. And, of course, we're, we're praying that we would just follow the Lord's leading on that, and I'm praying that you will as well. And this is, uh, I know, where things can get a little sticky. So we live in a culture where, where many people have been burned by the church. We have a huge uh, population of, of what is known as people who have been de-churched. That simply means that at some point they were part of the church. At some point they were part of our VBS program. At some point they came through our Sunday school. But at some point, whether that's after high school, they just said, you know what, this is not for me. This forces us that we have to understand that mission is not a solo adventure, brothers and sisters. It's not simply about you and your workplace, you and your neighborhood. In the scriptures, we see the importance of covenant relationships. For example, the two becoming one. And virtually everything in the New Testament happened in in teams. There were a couple exceptions, Stephen and Philip. But everything else was done in teams. Jesus even sent two disciples to fetch a donkey. Luke chapter 19, 29 through 30. You look at God's call in the Old Testament on the nation of Israel. They were to do it as a nation to show the glory of God. So we see that aspect of up, in. And lastly, we see here that Jesus reached out. Luke 6, verse 17 through 19. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him, from him and healing them all. You see that? Jesus never lost sight of his father's vision to reach out to a dark and dying world. We see that Jesus prayed to his father before calling a team of people to share in the kingdom work. Jesus chose from the larger crowd of disciples a group who would become his friends, and he lived out his life in their presence. He also walked among the crowds, teaching, feeding, healing, and comforting. And Jesus did not wait for the spiritually dead to come to him. He went to them and ministered to them at their point of need, and his critics hated him for that. Church family, we need to, of course, disciple our young generation. But we also need to be aware of other needs in our cities. And this is not to put all our eggs in one basket, but this is just to create a little more awareness. We need to understand the gravity of this. Ed Stetzer, who's a, who's a current-day missiologist, says, within unchurched younger adults, ages 18 to 29, 58% are more likely to attend church if people at church cared for them as compared to 38% of older adults aged over 30 years. It's just looking at our 2010 census results for our city. In Anchorage, we have about 291,826 people. 66% of our population is 44 and under. 11.2% are folks between the ages of 18 to 24. That's 32,480 people. Under the age of 18, 75,000 
about 76,000 people. So that's a total of over 108,000. 37% of our population is under the age of 24. And I tell you this because do you know what the, what the predominant mindset of this age range is? David Kinneman, who's a president of the Barna Group, wrote a book called Unchristian, and I just wanted to read you a quote from that just to give you some insight into this cyclical pattern that, that we, we're in now. We consistently find that the vast majority of teenagers nationwide will spend a significant amount of their teen years participating in a Christian congregation. Most teenagers enter adulthood considering themselves to be Christians and saying they have made a personal commitment to Christ. But within a decade, most of these young people will have left the church and will have placed emotional connection to Christianity on the shelf. For most of them, their faith was merely skin deep. This leads to the sobering finding that the vast majority of outsiders in this country, particularly among young generations, are actually de-churched individuals. This is stuff we got to know. I mean, Christ calls us to be current-day missiologists, Right? to understand the culture, not that we would morph in and, and be just and do everything that culture says, but that we would understand our culture and we would understand how people think. We would understand their worldviews as well. And the common mindset among, among this young generation is, you know what? I love God, but I hate the church. In fact, David Kinneman says that young people find Christians to be anti-homosexual, judgmental, hypocritical, too involved in politics, sheltered, and insensitive to others. So instead of cowering in fear to statistics or even getting angry about this, we have to ask ourselves, what is God showing us? What is God wanting us to do? As we look and as we engage with our life groups and as we engage our city, we have to understand that there's huge pockets of people who are de-churched and unchurched. We have to understand, as like talking about last week, that so many people fall into that teaching of moral therapeutic deism. And you know, it's about, it's about moralistic teaching. It's about, you know, it's about, you know, Christ being my therapist. And you know what? He, he's he's a, like a cosmic vending machine. And that, that thought is so common. I talk to young people, young adults all the time. And that's the same thing that's recurring over and over again. You have to come back to the, just to the sweet, pure gospel. We're talking to so many young people who have been burned by the church. I'm done with it. So as we look at the implications of, of reaching, let's be challenged. No more solo flights. This needs to be, and this needs to occur in the context of community. If not, we're going to lose this generation. And what's going to be the consequence of that? Not just kids, not just young adults, but the community of Anchorage at large. This city is in need of the gospel. I don't, I don't even have time to go over statistics, over, over, over single parents, over other needs. But, but as Christ followers, are we aware of those things? Are we praying, God, show us your vision for this city. You've placed us here. You've placed this church here for a very specific reason. It's to make disciples. Do we have a clear vision? And God wants to give us that vision. There's an the, there's the overarching vision, save the lost, grow the found, send the empowered. And as we launch our life group, God wants to give our life groups visions to, to reach cracks and crevices of our city. 
George McLeod, a Christian pastor, says this about the cross. The cross must be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I am claiming that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves on the town garbage heap at a crossroads so cosmopolitan they had to write his title in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. At the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble because that is where he died and that is what he died about and that is where churchmen ought to be and what churchmen should be about. Is that not simply modeling Jesus? That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is so convicting to me. Jesus, you took on the flesh of man. You came to a people that despised you and hated you, yet you willingly showed them yourself and loved them. Time and time again, the disciples failed and failed and failed, and people just let him down. But just consistent love. He knew what he was here for. He was here to save the world. And brothers and sisters, I'm just praying, let us join God in that. We don't need to invent our mission, okay? The mission of God exists. It's alive and well, and he is working, and he is building his church. Now he has called us to make disciples. And if you're, if you're not doing that, I, I'd be the first one to confess that, God, I could do so much better. And if you're not, let, let us repent and let us commit to doing it. And the prayer is that this, these life groups would be just these, the, the pockets of believers all around our city. Saying, God, we just want to be available and we want to make disciples wherever you place us. And uh, as, as, as the church leadership, the only thing we're holding, our, um, we're, we're operating under a very simple model of, of high accountability, low control. That as a leadership, we're going to pump into our life group leaders. And we're simply going to hold them accountable to these three things. Hey, are you connecting with God? Is your group connecting with us? Are regular times of this up aspect? How about within the group? Are you guys, are people growing in relationship? And, and lastly, out, are, hey, are you, guys, are you guys executing your plan? Are you praying that God will give you a vision and that you're, you're going out to the city? And low control and that we're not going to tell people, hey, you need to go here, you need to go there, and, you know, no, we're going to, we're on, we've honestly been praying, God, give our people vision for the city. Awaken us from our slumber. Wake us up, Lord, that we would see the needs of our city and we would begin pursuing them. Amen? So that's simply the vision. And church, church is a family. It's not an orphanage. Can we all remember that? This is a family. It's not an orphanage. It's not about this building, hiring a few paid professionals who are overworked, an entity that is understaffed, okay, tending to just spiritual babies who never grow up, all right? This, we are the kingdom of priests, collectively, together, and together we're called to make disciples we're, as a family, to say, hey, let's join each other, let's do this, let's embark on this together, and there are times that people are going to fall back and we don't leave them there. We minister, we take them, and we're a family. We talk about our family. We live with our family. We eat with our family. And what we're calling people to is a paradigm shift because we're, we're moving away from just a weekly Bible study for a couple hours a week. 
We're asking people to center their lives around Christ and making disciples in the family of God. And as a Christian, what's more important than that? And I know that we're going to have challenges in every aspect as we begin to look to God in this up dynamic. What are some challenges? The busyness of life. As well as thinking that our programs and pragmatism will achieve results that only God can. Let us, re- let us simply re- remind ourselves that he is the source, he is the purpose, and he is the very thing that sustains it all. In challenges. I was listening to Paul David Tripp preach, and he was talking about... <laughs> And it just made me think of church community. He's like, you know, when you have marriage, you have two sinners coming together, right? Not only are they sinners, but they're self-sovereign, you know? It's like you've got king of one kingdom here and a king of another kingdom and clashing. And I know that as we come together in the context of community, that's going to be that. There's going to be different personalities, man. You know, there's going to be times when we disagree. But let us also remember the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That what unites us is simply this, Jesus Christ. My sons were fighting the other day, and uh, I just had to remind them of that simple truth. Hey, regardless, at the end of the day, you're brothers, and that's that. Can't change that. We're the family of Christ because of what he's done for us in the Christ. We're brothers and sisters, and that's that. And the simple logic is this, is that if you love Jesus, you're going to love the church. Because Jesus loves the church so much so that he gave his life for the church. So let us be aware of that challenge. And and the out challenge I see is probably the biggest one for all of us. It's going to be the sense of ownership. To own it ourselves. And it's not to say this is not a cornerstone thing. It's not just the leadership of the pastoral staff. No. As a corporate body, all together, we're going to own this. This is our mission. And let us be reminded that this is an ambassador calling. Just as an ambassador has to be on duty 24-7, so does a Christian. And let us also be aware that we, we, we live in a culture and we're influenced by a culture. Aristotle asked that, I guess, profound question, does a fish know it's wet? And let us remember that we live in a culture, we're influenced by it that our our family upbringing has shaped us and we all operate under certain paradigms. And some of those paradigms are good. But guess what? Some of those paradigms are wrong. And God needs to begin to unwire that. And let us pray that we're open to do that. Amen? So uh, I'm going to close this in prayer. Um, Just explain something real quick. Uh, At the end of our service here, um, you'll see some tables that are scattered around the the sanctuary here. Um, And our life group leaders are going to be stationed at uh, different tables. And I just want to encourage you during this time to, to go talk with them, um, to uh, ask them questions, let them share their hearts with you. And uh, this is no manipulation of, you know, you need to do this or your sins aren't forgiven. No. But at the same time, we also want to challenge. You know, let us, let us be part of what God's doing. And we don't have it figured out, Okay. I pray that I haven't given you the impression that we've got this all figured out. We know what we're going to do, and no, we don't. But we do, we do know what God's called us to do, and we're, we're beginning to walk in faith with that. And I want to challenge you to do that. Even if you may not know, you know, the person or, you know, let us be obedient. Amen? And let's, let's step forward in expectation that we serve a mighty God.
You know, sometimes I forget that. That God, you, nothing is impossible for you. You can save anybody. You can do anything. And how often I forget. So let's just come before the Lord in prayer. And I just want you guys to know I'm so excited to see what God is going to do through our life groups. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you because you are so good. God, I'm so thankful for the body of Christ here at Cornerstone. God, I, I know that it's just the, the desire of us here, God, that we, that we simply want to participate in what you're doing, God. Father, you have placed all of us in this city for a reason. And God, we want to just pursue the things of God with a passion. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me, God, for, 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 for having a half-hearted passion at times. For even doubting how mighty and awesome and wonderful you are, God. But Lord, I just ask that you would con- consistently give us a glimpse of your glory, God. Because I know that when we see it, we're transformed. When any of us has a personal living encounter with the God who is alive and well today, we leave transformed, we leave empowered. And God, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would fill all of us, Lord, as we take steps of faith and as we begin to witness, and we know that our witness will be true if it testifies to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're asking. Empower us, empower our witness to make more of Jesus. Lord, I know that that's the prayer of the leadership here at Cornerstone and the people here that we would simply make more of Jesus in our city. God, we have so many needs in our city. We have have broken lives. We have pain. We have hurt. We have abandoned kids. We've got poverty. We've got a lot of things, Lord. We've got substance abuse. The list goes on. But Lord, one thing I'm clear on is this, is that you've called the church to rise up. And God, I believe in kingdom realities, Lord. I believe that through the church that, we, that the kingdom of God is here. God, I believe that we can see healing. I believe we can see radical conversion. God, I believe it and I pray that together corporately we would begin believing that together. And stepping in faith in that God. So Father, we want to just embrace each other. We don't want to merely gather on, based on affinity. But no, solely based that, you know what? We're brothers and sisters because of what Jesus Christ has done alone on the cross. So God, begin to unwire our paradigms. Give us your heart for our city. Help us to be so in line with you that we too can say we only see what our Father is doing in our city. God, it's our heart's prayer that we would make more of you. I thank you for um, all of our life group leaders that have stepped up. And I know it's a step of faith for them, God. And I pray that you would um, just bless them as well. I pray that you would be sovereign in this process and you would begin to knit people's hearts together as as you alone knit Jonathan and David's hearts. I believe you're going to knit the hearts of different people here, God. 
unlikely relationships, a, a prince and a, and a peasant. But yet their bond was in God. And I'm praying that you would do that, Lord. So God, we just want to see you glorified in our city, in our state, in this country, to the ends of the earth. And we want to participate with you, God. And we admit we are all broken vessels, God. And while you choose to use people like us, we don't know. And God, that's something I marvel at. And I'm just, I'm just desiring that I want to be a part of that plan, God. Even though you don't need me, I want to be a part of that, Lord. I pray that for the church body as well. So to you be the glory, honor, and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Who am I? You would know me. Who are we to you, Lord? You have shown love and mercy. We are strangers no more. We are daughters. We are sons. All because of what you've done. 